This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Delighted to be joined for a very special chat of the ATP podcast and also website with Isam Qureshi, who is, well, one of the busiest men in tennis right now. Um, And if anyone clicks on your Instagram page at the moment, Isam, they're likely to see you in a face mask or surrounded by cardboard boxes. Tell us exactly why that is. Basically, mate, I feel like I've learned growing up to help the needy and the poor and the less privileged ones. I feel really, really blessed and lucky to be doing something that I love and in a position where I can uh, help uh, less privileged people. I started my foundation, Stop Poor Start Tennis, uh, five years ago. And I was very inspired by Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, Andy Murray's, uh, who have all their foundations and working all over the world, helping people out. And I felt like I'm in a position to do that as well. The foundation uh, normally works on people who have been affected by wars and natural disasters. And I provide specific tennis wheelchairs and tennis equipment to people who have lost their legs or limbs uh, due to natural disasters or wars. Uh, So far in the past five years, I've done projects in uh, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Uganda and Rwanda. And uh, this time around during the coronavirus pandemic, I wanted to do something uh, for my country and for my people here. As much as people are getting affected from this virus, we have a population of 220 million people in Pakistan. And out of that, 100 million are on the borderline of hunger. And because of the lockdown for a month and a half, a lot of people are not being able to work. Uh, They can't feed their families. And they earn money on daily basis and feed their families on daily basis. But because of no work now, a lot of people are suffering from hunger. So through my foundation and uh, with the collaboration of another organization, RISC, I've been trying to distribute ration bags, which are food bags that can last a family of five for a month. And I'm doing my level best to reach as many Pakistanis as possible through my foundation, Stop for Star Tennis. So far, we have reached 1,500 families in the past month, uh, which is ob- almost 7,500 people. And within the next week, we're planning on uh, completing 2,000 families, uh, which will be more than 10,000 people. And now we have a month of Ramadan going on. And my target is to reach at least 5,000 families in the next 20 days as well. So I've just been busy with that, with the cardboards, and trying to distribute some bags myself as well in person. But uh, due to the coronavirus spread, it's not easy to go. And I have uh, my parents here at home, my nieces as well. So I don't want to put their lives and health in jeopardy and risk that. So trying to take it easy a little bit uh, nowadays. You've also been out there literally on the front line knocking door to door. I mean, how is that? What What are you seeing when you're knocking on those doors? People uh, people must be desperate. Yeah, man, people are. And it's uh, to be honest, it's a very scary sight. All the horror and people were really needy. Like in a small room, there are like seven to eight people staying in one place. And it's not good. Uh, a lot of... Uh, I'm getting so many messages on my Instagram, on my Facebook, on my Twitter is also private messages. People asking for help. Uh, and everybody's asking for food. Nobody's asking for money. Uh, everybody needs food right now. They don't have work. They're not making money. Uh, they can't feed their families. And like I said, the population is uh, huge and a lot of people are suffering from it. And I think uh, more people in Pakistan during the lockdown are actually suffering and are more scared of the hunger part than the coronavirus itself. How are you choosing which doors you knock on? 
uh, we have actually a data that we are following where we are verifying every single family who is in the most need right now. The organization that I'm working with, RISP, the reason I'm working with them is a nonprofit organization as well. And they have data service that uh, helps us find the real needy people in Pakistan right now in the communities, people who are really in need and who are really daily wagers, who only rely on uh, making money daily. And uh, we're collecting more and more data throughout Pakistan. And uh, that's how we're working, going door to door, people, communities that are closer to mine. Uh, some family friends uh, are also helping me out, uh, areas that are close to them, letting me know about the areas uh, that are very effective uh, around them. So I go to their places as well. And in a way, it's an overwhelming feeling as well, helping somebody out, but uh, a scary one as well. I think it motivates me even more to go out there and help more people out and try to generate more funds when I see people in so much need and so much help and uh, so much misery. As a human being I, and as sportsmen also, I just feel blessed and I just want to keep helping as many people out as possible. What's been the toughest part for you? Uh, the toughest part is not to be able to get to every single person that I want to. I'm getting so many messages on Facebook. I try to reply to them. I try to see if I can get to their uh, places. There are some restrictions as well. I can't reach every single person in Pakistan, because I, uh, but I'm trying to uh, through my organization as well and through risk as well. Uh, but sometimes there are logistical problems. Uh, we don't have the manpower or uh, the conveyance uh, to reach uh, the northern parts of Pakistan, let's say, or to the very remote parts. And I try to encourage them through Facebook and Instagram. And I think that has been the hardest part. There are a lot of people uh, that are trying to reach out. And sadly and unfortunately, I can't reach every one of them. But uh, doing my level best and trying to create more awareness about for people that there is a platform out there that they can use to donate money and the money will be rightly spent on the needy and the poor and encouraging people in Pakistan to donate and outside Pakistan as well, not to just my organization, but to any other organization that they trust. And uh, because this is the time of need and uh, we really need to work together as a nation to get through this pandemic and uh, try to make a hunger-free Pakistan. You've mentioned a couple of times that you're in Lahore right now. For, for people who don't know Pakistan, who don't know the city that you're in, what's it like? And, and what in particular in Lahore makes it perhaps more vulnerable to this? Mate, Lahore is the capital of Punjab. It's the, one of the biggest provinces in Pakistan. It's the second biggest city in Pakistan. And uh, we have so many people here. And uh, like I said, a lot of people from the villages, they come to these big cities to work on a daily basis and then they will go back home. So a lot of these people are stuck because there is no work now. Uh, it's a semi-lockdown. Our country and our government cannot really afford a complete lockdown like most of the countries are doing right now in the Western world uh, because of these daily wagers, because of these daily workers and because of the, the population being uh, so much uh, poor and needy. And that's why we have a semi-lockdown right now in our country. Not all the people are, have been uh, stopped from working, but uh, Punjab, Lahore, there are a lot of people here who need a lot of help and uh, who need a lot of food. And like I said, a lot of people come from the villages here and they just, they're stuck here now because of no work and all, everybody's just looking out for food. Uh, like I mentioned before, nobody is asking for money when they're messaging me. Nobody's asking for any kind of help. Everybody, they're just asking for some kind of food, rice, oil, sugar, tea, biscuits, anything that we can provide. Uh, the Russian bags we have, the food bags we have contain flour, 
it contains wheat, it contains rice, it contains tea, uh, it contains oil, it contains biscuits, it contains uh, sanitizers, gloves, masks, and uh, bottle of water. So these are the main necessities of people right now uh, in Lahore as well and the rest of Pakistan as well. How worried are you about the risk of you know, rapid spread in Pakistan? And does it feel like the country so far is managing to contain it? Mate, I'm very, very scared, to be honest. Uh, the numbers are increasing. Uh, the first month, uh, I think, the, because of the lack of uh, all the tests, uh, we didn't have the right numbers, but the numbers are increasing because the number of tests now is increasing as well. Uh, the first month, I think, people here in Pakistan took the lockdown very seriously and kept them... Uh, isolated and uh, kept themselves at home, which helped us to contain this virus from spreading. But for the past few weeks, I've been seeing there are way too many people on the roads, way too many shops open as well. And uh, people kind of have uh, lost patience. Like I said, maybe our country can afford a lockdown for three, day, three weeks or four, but not more than a month. And uh, people are in great help right now and great need right now. And I think that's why they're panicking and getting back to work and somehow try, trying to make some money so they can feed their families. And I see so many people now on the road. It doesn't really look like a lockdown. And it doesn't really look like that uh, people are scared of the virus. According to the doctors here in Pakistan, this month, the next month, is going to be the one that's going to be the most scary one. And the way the numbers are going up, uh, I'm pretty scared. I'm doing my level best to keep promoting and keep making people aware also through my Instagram and Facebook page also and through other organizations as well and trying to spread the message of staying home and staying isolated and keeping the social distance uh, from each other. And let's see, I hope people can get back to their homes again like they did the first month because this is the only way we can fight this virus is actually staying at home. And also scared, as you said before, understandably, for yourself and, and your family taking it back. I mean, how, how easy is it to prevent? Do you, what are you wearing? Are you, have you got protective equipment that you're wearing? And we've seen various um, reports on the, on the TV in, in the UK where I live about how difficult it is to constantly change that protective equipment and keep it so that it's still doing its job. I mean, how, how difficult is it to do what you're doing and do it the right way with, with all this kit as well. Yeah, mate, it's not easy, to be honest. Uh, obviously, during this time, the logistics and everything and going home to home, it's not an easy task. In the past, uh, if we have tried to deliver food or distribute food, uh, the first week it was easier uh, because we didn't have that big a threat here in Pakistan and people were coming and uh, taking the ration bags and the bags from a food bank or from our hub. But because of uh, social distancing and because the virus spreading so much, we're making proper precautions that we are not asking people to come uh, to some certain place and uh, pick the bags up, food bags up. Uh, we're making sure we're going home to home and delivering uh, these bags uh, per family and per home uh, so we don't uh, try to spread this virus. It's not easy. It has made this task even more difficult. Like I said, in person, I would like to go out on the field even more, but uh, I have to be aware of my family, uh, my parents, my nephews, my nieces here. Uh, Pakistan, most of the majority of the families uh, live in a joint family structure. So a lot of people live together in a house. So if I'm going out day in, day out, trying to distribute ration bags and meeting people and being on the streets, it's going to put my family at risk and my nephews and my parents especially. So I don't really want to do that. Every time I go out, I'm wearing gloves, I'm wearing masks, I'm wearing hats and trying to uh, protect myself in the best way possible. 
I come back home, I take off all the clothes and push them into washing separately. And I take proper shower and keep washing my hands and uh, just doing my level best uh, I can right now in the circumstances. And that's why I'm urging people also that uh, the reason I'm putting so many videos on social media, which I don't like to do, is just to tell them and inspire them and motivate them and give them a platform basically that they can use uh, to donate money. And so we can help uh, a lot of people out during this, uh, these tough times, but it's not easy because of the, you have to constantly keep thinking about not spreading the virus and obviously not containing it as well while being uh, on the road, uh, doing these things. So because of that, now I go out uh, personally like once or twice a week before I was going out every day uh, in the beginning. So yeah, it's not easy, but we have to keep playing our part and uh, that's the only way to fight this virus and uh, hopefully we can get through this uh, very soon. Is there a person in particular or have there been any any people in particular that you've met along the way, people that you've helped, who've inspired you? Mate, the inspiration I've taken, uh, to be honest, uh, is obviously from my family, my parents. Ever since uh, I've been growing up, uh, my family has a non-profit foundation as well, which is called Hot Foundation. They deliver, distribute food among the poor every single day to 100 and 150 people. And the food is cooked every day and... Uh, the food has, uh, gets delivered uh, to the poor and the needy families. The Family Foundation helps uh, people in studies as well and in their education. And my younger brother has three dispensaries where we give uh, free medicines to people that can't afford uh, buy, to buy medicines. And uh, like I said, I really get inspired by Roger Federer, likes of Nadal, Djokovic, Andy Murray's. And uh, they're good friends of mine as well, but I get inspired from them as well because they're not just playing tennis, but using the platform of tennis to help so many millions of people out uh, everywhere in the world. And that was the inspiration behind my foundation as well, uh, Stop or Start Tennis, which I started five years ago. And I feel like I'm in a position uh, and feel really blessed to be in a position to help people out. And uh, not just in Pakistan, but uh, as many people all over the world. And uh, four projects I've done, five projects have always been outside Pakistan. This is the first one I'm doing in Pakistan through my foundation. And uh, as an athlete, as a sportsman, I feel like uh, tennis has given me so much and it's a way of me giving back to the communities in different countries. And I feel myself as an international person. I've been all over the world. Uh, there are so many people who have touched uh, my heart. And uh, that's why I feel like uh, helping everybody I can uh, in any way possible. And uh, Roger, Rafa, and all these guys are helping so many millions of people out, especially in, during this uh, pandemic as well. And I've asked for their help also. I'm going to be doing an auction where I'm going to be using memorabilia from Natal, from uh, Novak, from Roger, and uh, some other sporting grades from Pakistan, uh, which I'm going to use to raise funds here. And uh, every single item, man, uh, is going to be very close to my heart. It's going to go in a long way for me to raise funds here in Pakistan. There's a huge population that loves tennis. These guys are legends here. Everybody loves each and every one of them. I know each and every one of them. I've played with most of them and they're unbelievable guys and human beings. And uh, none of them actually hesitated. Uh, the second I asked them if I can use any kind of memorabilia for them, they were more, ha more than happy to send it to me. And as a result of all of this, Sam, you, you've twice won the ATP Arthur Ashe Humanitarian of the Year Award. I know you don't do it for you, but it must, as you say, it, it must make you proud that you're part of a sport that takes people to their hearts like it does. Are you proud of how much the ATP and the players, you know, get behind these causes? 
super proud. Uh, I, I'm not going to get emotional here, but uh, yeah, I feel really blessed and lucky to be part of this organization. Every time I've asked them to help, every time uh, I've done something out of the blue, I would say, or differently where even my country or my sports authorities also announced to ban me. You know, uh, when I took a stand with uh, Amir Haddad and Rohan Bupana and uh, making sure that what I believed in was right of not mixing sports with religion or culture or countries. And uh, that's one of the lessons uh, I think uh, ATP made me learn as well by appreciating my efforts and by appreciating my stance. Uh, then after being with Rohan Bupana and getting the Peace and Sport Award uh, from the Prince of uh, Monaco, being a Pakistani, being a Muslim, you can't even dream of that, you know? And uh, I never even thought of that. So they are the ones who made us realize about the bigger picture of the bigger impact we can make. So yeah, it's a uh, few things. I think uh, you have to put them together. That has, I think, uh, given me the mindset to do this, not just once incident. Uh, there have been few personal uh, things. I had uh, this uh, visit in um, uh, SOS village here in Pakistan. I went like 15 years ago and uh, normally through my family foundation, we always try to help them every year. We ask them if the kids need anything, if they need some more clothes and new blankets or some kind of food. And through my family trust, Huck Foundation, we always try to help them. And uh, one day the president of the SOS village asked me if you can come uh, and meet these kids in person. And I said, yeah, yeah, for sure. I would love to. And uh, she asked me if uh, I can donate a hearing aid for few of the kids as well, because some of them can't hear and with the hearing aid, they will be able to hear that. And I went there, I, I remember still 15 years ago, and this young girl came five, six years old, who could not hear, she had never heard before. And then they gave her the hearing aid uh, that I donated for SOS Village. And that moment when the first time she was able to hear, right standing in front of me, uh, was uh, like a mind blowing experience. It's something I've never ever experienced in my life. And uh, she was crying, I think, with happiness. I was crying being, I don't know, emotional or overwhelmed that uh, with such a small thing and hearing it, I've been able to impact her so strongly. And I think these kind of moments inspire you and motivate you to do even more. Uh, the reason uh, right now, a few years ago, with the help of ATP grant as well, I was able to donate uh, more than 50 hearing aids in Uganda in a deaf school Then these the school was sending me all the videos of these kids uh, wearing these hearing aids and listening for the first time. Yeah, these kind of moments, I think, uh, give you jitters, gives me goosebumps and uh, kind of helps me or inspires me and motivates me more to help more people out. And twice I've received uh, their uh, charities as well from the ATP charity program also supporting my charity of helping uh, so many people out in Cambodia and Sri Lanka and Uganda and Rwanda as well. So super proud to be part of this organization. I feel really, really blessed also to be among the group of players that are playing at this, in this era right now. And obviously being part of the ATP also, uh, super thankful and very humble and uh, feel very lucky and blessed uh, to be doing what I'm doing and with the people I'm doing it with. And I, I can't let you go, Esam, without without asking you about the, I guess the, the second half of your charity title it's stop war start tennis obviously everything's on hold right now stop war we all understand starting tennis in pakistan um what, what are the logistics of this and and how far down the road have you got with that what does tennis in pakistan look like right now 
man, as a Pakistan number one, I'm doing my level best. I've been trying to do my level best to be the role model, to be a door opener, uh, to inspire kids and uh, to motivate them to pick this sport as well. It's a cricket-loving nation. People love cricket here. Uh, and I have nothing against cricket or cricketers. It's the one sport that unites us as a nation, like most of the European countries do. Football does that for them. Uh, it's been a hard journey for me uh, to get recognized uh, as a Pakistani tennis player. But uh, after making finals of US Open 2010 and uh, having a win against Roger Federer in 2009, uh, tennis did uh, take a boost. Uh, I consider it as a number second sport in Pakistan after cricket. I think there is a lot of potential here. If you take the records out in the past 15, 20 years after cricket, I think tennis is one sport that has been giving uh, very positive results consistently. Myself on the ATP tour, in the doubles, uh, mostly from 2010 onwards, and in the Davis Cup format as well. And I'm trying to promote this as much as I can. Unfortunately, because of the ban we had for 12 years uh, due to terrorism and terrorist activities, it affected tennis a lot, uh, especially in my prime time. Uh, when uh, people really knew me and they were actually getting inspired towards tennis. We didn't have any international events here. We didn't have Davis Cup here also. We couldn't hold any tennis matches. And I was not able to play anything at home in front of my home crowd. It affected tennis a lot, but uh, the cycle has been changed now for the last three years. International tennis, international sports is getting revived. I have full ambition once I get done with tennis to build a tennis academy here where I can... Uh, help kids learn everything that I've learned uh, from the being on the ATP tour for more than 20 years and uh, try to help them uh, become better players than me and try to get more laurels for the country. I want to be part of the Pakistan Tennis Federation in the longer run and I want to be part of the Pakistan Sports Board as well. Those are the goals I really want and uh, dreams I have and hopefully I'll be able to accomplish them so I can help more and more Pakistanis pick up tennis as well and revive the sports culture once again. When you are kind of in charge or you're, you're part of of those, um, I guess, that machine of power in, in Pakistani tennis, what is, if you could wave the magic wand, what is the the first thing to do? Is it more courts? Is it more rackets? Is it just simply getting the, getting the word out about tennis? Definitely more courts, more public courts. We unfortunately really don't have any public courts in Pakistan. Most of it's based on uh, uh, to have memberships of private clubs. Everybody needs to have a membership to play. And uh, not all Pakistanis and can afford memberships of these clubs. So it's kind of an elite sport right now. I want to make it more public. I'm uh, always trying to speak to the governments as well to maybe convert one or two cricket grounds or football grounds into tennis courts. You can have 10 to 15 tennis courts in a football ground or a cricket ground. So that's one of the things I think which is going to help uh, produce more players in Pakistan. We need to have more public courts. And there are way too many cricket grounds in Pakistan. There are way too many football grounds as well. So we can turn few of them around. It's not going to affect cricket or football in Pakistan. So one of the main goals is that and to introduce tennis in schools. Like I said, there, there is cricket in schools, there are football in schools, but there are hardly any tennis courts at school level. So those are the main two things I think I, need, I would focus on to do uh, once I take this uh, initiative in the longer run. Just finally, it sounds like you were born into a wonderful, caring family from what you're saying of what your family does. But do you ever stop to think what your life might have been like without tennis? No, man. It's uh, very difficult to apprehend that and to imagine that. Uh, I grew up watching tennis. My mother, Noshina Tisham, was Pakistan number one for 10 years. 
my maternal grandfather, Khwaja Iftikhar Ahmed, was all India number one before partition, before India and Pakistan got separated. So tennis has always been a family sport. Tennis been in, is in my blood for sure. I grew up watching my mom play tennis and tennis matches. So uh, life without tennis would be, yeah, would be incomplete, I would have to say. It would be very boring. And I won't be able to, yeah, meet so many great people and work with so many different organizations. Like I said, I feel so blessed and lucky to be doing something that I love and to be working with the people uh, that I really admire, I respect, and who respect me in return. And uh, tennis, uh, life without tennis would be definitely incomplete. I would be boring. And I am who I am. And a lot has to do with, uh, is with my family, obviously. But tennis has to play a very, very big part of it as well. Uh, and I definitely won't be a Samuel Qureshi who I am right now without tennis. Best of luck. Stay healthy and uh, stay, stay out of harm's way. And hopefully we'll see you back out there on, on tour sometime soon. But g- good luck. Thank you so, so very much. And thank you, ATB, once again uh, for supporting me and for obviously promoting this cause. And just I would like to take this opportunity to say hi to all the tennis fraternity out there and to all the tennis players. I hope all of you are doing more than well and staying safe and hope to see you guys on the tour soon. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.